This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. This week, combating homelessness is a big challenge for leaders across the front range. It's not black and white and it's not one size fits all. It's very complex. In Denver, the city's two mayoral candidates say they're ready to take on that challenge. Today, we have a real talk about homelessness in the metro area. We'll look at some ideas and plans from Kelly Bruff and Mike Johnston and ask some community members to weigh in. Welcome to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. And I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Heffel. Each week in a partnership between Denver 7 and CPR, we'll have a real talk about issues impacting underrepresented people across Colorado. This week, we're focused on homelessness in the metro. We will look at the plans both Denver mayoral candidates have put forth on how to combat homelessness and hear perspectives from community members on those plans. First, we want to lay out three main points we're going to cover over this next half hour. We'll hear about the possibility of people getting arrested for camping across Denver. What kind of a role tiny home villages or converted motels can play in these plans and where the funding can uh, can come from for these ambitious projects. We want to start with the possibility of people getting arrested for camping in Denver. Kelly Bruff says it would be an option as a last resort. We asked Bruff about this during the Denver 7 Denverite and Denver Post debate last week. And we asked her specifically about where resources would come from to arrest people, given the city auditor's report finds $13 million is already spent on homelessness. We have to emphasize what the auditor is focused on in his audit is the cost of continually sweeping people and how ineffective that is. And so I'm proposing we actually stop doing that and instead, with urgency, we get people to safer, safe outdoor sites, indoor when we can, but safe outdoor sites. So we stop sweeping people and we actually start to save lives. Uh, in that process, if somebody refuses to go or, more importantly, isn't capable of making that decision for themselves, I have said I would take them to a place like Denver Cares that we have today. This is a facility for someone who's intoxicated or high and can't take care of themselves. And I would take people to those locations to take care of them through this process. We did reach out to Kelly Bruff's team for more clarification on the question that was asked about where resources would come from. Her team did not get into specifics, but said they would need officials in the seven county metro area to step up to provide services themselves or help Denver fund services. We also wanna make clear our guests on today's show are not endorsing either candidate. They are just providing more perspective for us. First, we invited Therese Howard from the House Keys Action Network in Denver to join our Real Talk on Homelessness. Therese, welcome. So first, tell us about the work that the House Keys Action Network does. Uh, yeah, we're an advocacy group um, made up of mostly houseless or recently houseless folks who fight for rights in housing as directed by houseless people. So we do a lot of outreach and we gather the voices of people with direct experience um, and then use that to move forward the fights that we have for uh, the basic survival um, and the housing that everybody needs. Therese Kelly Bruff said that as mayor, arresting people who are experiencing homelessness would be used as a last resort. In your mind, is this different from what's being done now? And also, is it enough to say this would be a last option? No. Um, so. The, the main way in which the camping ban is enforced in Denver right now is through move on orders. So when a cop with a badge and a gun walks up to you and says, you need to move, you're breaking the law, most people move. <laughs> um, 
and especially when that um, that sort of approach, uh, you know, is just a constant sort of harassment. Um, and so the the uh, the desired effect, which is moving somebody out of sight and feeling like you have enforced the law, um, can happen without writing a ticket um, or arresting anybody. Um, and so that is a um, that's the way that it's done now, and that appears that, that Kelly is, is headed in that same direction when she says that, you know, I won't be sweeping, you know, it'll just be a last resort. Um, well, that's what's happening now. The last resort um, is, uh, is barely needed um, and, uh, and yet still a possibility. And so the fact that she is still using that possibility of arrest uh, you know, shows that she believes in uh, these types of laws that criminalize survival. So then, in your opinion, what needs to happen to stop homeless camp sweeps completely? Because it, it seems like it's a, it's a huge issue for you, right? Well, what needs to happen is people need to have adequate, appropriate housing that, that meets everybody's needs and that people can afford. I mean, that's the bottom line. You're going to have people living in public space um, unless you have actual housing, appropriate places that people want to live. Um, and so, you know, we have to recognize that reality. And then if we want to um, stop pushing people from block to block, that's, uh, that would be uh, very beneficial for everybody who is currently without housing and surviving on the streets. Um, and we can do that right now and also address immediate needs um, as, as we're working on housing. We can address immediate needs um, with crisis response, uh, with bathrooms, with water access, all these sorts of things, um, and uh, that's not in, in the plans of either mayor or candidate. And Therese, you've said that a lot of times when we hear from candidates, it's, it's the same plan but different words. What resources would be needed to enact a plan that you think would be effective in addressing homelessness in the city? Uh, well, basically we need to go back to the funding levels of the 1970s. Um, okay. So in the 1970s, we had funding at the federal level um, that could create, um, uh, I should say, we, we need to go back to and expand upon the funding levels of the 1970s because um, there was housing that was created at the federal level um, at, largely at the scale of the need. Yes, we did have houseless people, um, but there was public housing um, that folks could, uh, could live in. Um, and that has since uh, been you know, demolished. That funding has been dropped 77% to where now there's zero federal dollars going towards new public housing. Um, and uh, that's not a pathway to, um, to housing. We have lost almost 500,000 units of public housing over the last uh, roughly 25 years. Um, so again, not a pathway to uh, addressing houselessness. That's a recipe for more houselessness. Um, and so if we want to address this, then we need to address the level of resources that are being invested in housing. And that can happen through a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to just be federal funding. There's state dollars, there's local dollars, there's reappropriation of funds. There's also existing housing for rich people that can be reappropriated for poor people. There's a lot of different ways that um, you know, we can uh, um, move money, but um, the resources need to be allocated for, uh, for housing that people need. That was Therese Howard of the House Keys Action Network in Denver. We'll be back later in the show. We dig into part of Mike Johnston's plan to address homelessness next. We will specifically look into his plans for more tiny home villages and using hotels for housing. We'll also hear about one nonprofit that's having to shut down its hotel that has housed 70 community members. 
This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. And I'm CPR's Nathan Heffel. Today we're having a Real Talk on homelessness in the metro and looking at the plans put forward by both Denver mayoral candidates. We're putting focus now on some alternative housing options to get people experiencing homelessness into shelter. Mike Johnston's plan includes building micro-communities. We asked him how he will prioritize who gets first pick on those units, and here's what he said. I don't think uh, arresting people who are homeless is the answer. I think the answer is getting people access to housing, getting people access to housing that have the supportive services we know uh, people need. Uh, example is I was talking to a guy outside of a shelter a few weeks ago uh, who had a construction hat in his bag and was saying that he's been working construction but ended up homeless again after 11 months of work because he had to choose between going to get a shift for construction at 5.30 in the morning or going to the methadone clinic where he's getting treatment to get off his addiction. And because he had to choose treatment, he missed the shift, couldn't pay the rent, was back on the street. That's not someone that needs to be arrested. That's someone that needs access to housing, needs access to services, needs access to support. What we know is that if we create this kind of housing, Joe, we know there's people who want to go there in overwhelming numbers. And so that's why we want to build this scale quickly. These tiny homes can be built quickly. We can convert hotels quickly. That allows us to move people to those sites that we know they overwhelmingly want to go. And so for me, that's how we solve it, and we can solve it with real speed. We did reach out to Mike Johnston's team for clarification on how this would be funded. For micro-communities in the metro, Johnston plans to use money from Denver's Homelessness Resolution Fund and the recently passed Proposition 123, which is a new state law that uses tax money to pay for affordable housing projects. To get reaction to this, we spoke with Cassandra Torres. She's the Associate Director of Emergency Shelter for a Denver nonprofit called The Gathering Place. Cassandra, thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, first, tell us what The Gathering Place does. Okay. Um, yeah, The Gathering Place is a nonprofit organization. We serve um, transgender, non-binary, and women. Um, anyone that is either experiencing homelessness or just living under poverty, um, which is very common. We don't make them sign any kind of paperwork. We're low barrier, so that means they don't have to access specific services to be a part of the organization. Um, they can just use our laundry service, they can just use the showers, food, um, and then a part of our organization that started um, in 2020 was um, being a part of the non-congregate shelter, um, which was created um, in response to the COVID pandemic. So we had partnered at that time with Catholic Charities. Um, to run a non-congregate shelter. Meaning um, that, that it's, a, it's a room or something yes, like that so as opposed to an open space? Hotel. I yes, see. an old hotel um, that was converted into shelter. So um, each individual has their own space unless they have a selected roommate. So we do have some mother-daughter situations, friends, cousins. Um, so they can be in a room together with two beds, but other than that, they're, in their, they're on their own. They have their own shower, their own bathroom, their own space. Yeah. We know you've helped house 70 plus community members with the non-congregate shelter. Uh, talk to me about the current status of the shelter. So currently um, we were told it's been about a month now um, that we are going to be close, closing. Um, DHA um, and the city of Denver have decided to no, not renew the lease on that property, um, but also have decided not to continue with the actual roadway program. So with that said, Mike Johnson's plan to put more focus onto projects like this what is your reaction to that plan? I would love that to be, um, you know, an action uh, for sure. I think it's, we've seen so much success um, at our shelter specifically, again, with the non-congregate, which is the individual space model. Um, we also train our staff in trauma-informed care. Again, we're low barrier model. Uh, we meet people where they're at. They don't have to access services if they're not ready for that. 
we've created so much stability for those people that they sometimes are ready for housing and that does help um, and sometimes they're not and so you know my my concern would be that um, it's a great idea and I think the tiny homes is also a great idea but I also feel like shelter is so important if we're closing shelters that are actually showing real numbers of success um, it's concerning because I'm curious of why that's not aligning what, what we're being told by the city right now. Right, and it seems like you're having to start from like, you know, square one again. Yep. And all of these these people that are utilizing the services, they're just, they're, they're out again right. where they don't want to be, mm -hmm. right? Right, yes, yeah. so um, we're working um, along with TSA um, and uh, the city of Denver with getting vouchers and things like that. But as we know, there's not enough, you know, there's not 70 plus vouchers. Um, so hoping that we can figure something out. Um, it might be also, from our experience and from the experience I've had at our shelter, not everybody is ready for that next step. Um, some people need supportive housing, some people need some pretty intense mental health help, um, some substance misuse support, and again, that's something that we have not seen in Denver, um, the resources going to those things, and I think if our goal is to eradicate homelessness, which unfortunately I don't think will ever happen, mm. um, we do need those resources. And I have yet to hear anyone um, in the city really focusing on the mental health aspect and the substance misuse, which we have seen in our shelter, mm. um, and have been able to really help those members be stable. We do not kick people out for using. We do not kick, kick people out for being drunk or under the influence. Um, and that's something that's rare in all shelters in Denver. Um, that's something that's not common. Yeah. Well, Cassandra, what else can be done? What can the next mayor do to make sure that these approaches to housing are successful? Um, I, would, I think what I would like to see, and I think a lot of us would, especially us working at a shelter now that's closing, which was extremely heartbreaking, um, and it still is for our staff and our members, um, is to actually be on the ground and talk to people that actually do the work. Um, we have yet to, I think, I know we reached out to all the candidates um, regarding our closure specifically. We have yet to hear from Callie's team at all, um, and I know that was since last week. Something might have changed since then. Um, but really just hoping that people would be on the ground that are making these big decisions. Um, we have people that made these decisions at HOST, which is you know, the city of Denver. Um, that never stepped foot at the roadway shelter. And that was very concerning um, because we have been so successful and we have created this community. So I think what I would love to see is, yeah, more on the ground um, from them, but also talking to the people that actually understand homelessness and understand what the people need to be successful. You know, and it, it's not black and white and it's not one size fits all. It's very complex. Yeah. Cassandra Torres is with The Gathering Place, a Denver-based nonprofit, and she'll be back to talk more in just a bit. Both candidates want more affordable housing, but it is a tricky game to make sure people don't get displaced in the process. Both of our guests join us again for their final thoughts on these plans and what's feasible moving forward. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm CPR's Nathan Heffel. And I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. Today, we're having a real talk about housing in the metro, looking at the plans put forth by Denver mayoral candidates Kelly Bruff and Mike Johnston. During the Denver 7, Denverite, and Denver Post debate last week, we asked both Bruff and Johnston about how they'll address affordable housing for low-income Denverites that don't displace current residents. Here's what each had to say. There is a huge gap of affordable housing, not just for folks that are unhoused, but for people that are 
working full jobs, sometimes two full jobs and still can't get access to housing. This is why it's so important to make sure we have housing that we can guarantee people is affordable and will stay affordable. So uh, my proposal will build these 25,000 units or convert existing units to be permanently affordable so people can get access to them at any income level. If you're making 20,000 a year or 30,000 a year or 60,000 a year, we know we have families that are married couples making 80,000 a year that still can't afford to raise kids in this city. And this links your rent to what you're actually making. And so you don't have a scenario where someone's paying 50% of what they make to income, or sorry, to rent. That's what's happening around the city right now. And that's what's making it possible for people to stay uh, in this city. So for me, that priority is about meeting people at whatever income level they're at and making sure they can get access to housing that doesn't burden them and keep them from being able to pay for food for their kids or transportation or the rest of the medication or core services families need. Kelly. This is so key because I think we have to start thinking about housing as the continuum that it really is. So while I'll focus on, you know, hardworking families and how we make sure they stay, I'm going to tie it back to this is all part of how we also address unhoused in our city and prevent it. And so for me, I think what has worked in other cities that I think is extremely promising is something called master leasing where either your housing authority or a nonprofit we would create would start to master lease. In essence, negotiate leases in mass. And we'd be able to pass that reduced rent and hold it flat for years to our own residents. We know two things about that. One, it allows us to rehouse people who are unhoused today. And over 40% are estimated to have jobs. So we know that will help us. Uh, but it also allows hardworking families to not lose their homes and prevent homelessness because in that instance, the master lease signer gets a phone call before someone's evicted, and we start to get ahead of the challenge we face today. And we want to welcome both of our guests back now for final thoughts on this Real Talk on Homelessness. We have Therese Howard from the House Keys Action Network, Denver, and Cassandra Torres from The Gathering Place. I saw both of your faces when we heard both yeah. of those sound bites. So my very first question for both of you is, what is your immediate reaction we heard? Housing based on income, master leasing. Therese, we'll start with you. Yeah, both uh, housing based on income and master leasing are things that we very much support as HAN. Um, I'm glad to hear uh, more talk about master leasing. We have been asking the city to master lease um, housing for poor folks, um, houseless folks for the last like four years now um, with every single time it being voted down by city council. Um, so we would, we would welcome that change. Um, but it's important to note that um, uh, you know, Kelly specifically talked about nonprofits or a housing authority um, leaving the city out of that. So the city um, really needs to consider their responsibility in terms of uh, stepping up to the housing need. Um, and uh, what that, what's uh, most efficient there in terms of um, creating the most units most quickly. Uh, one of the really important things about master leasing is uh, it's a way to move away from all of the issues with the voucher system um, where we have landlords that are discriminating, where we have people that have vouchers uh, that are losing their vouchers and losing housing options um, due to unable to, to work the system and the times that are given and all of these other uh, problems. Also the way in which the voucher system is raising rents um, and not keeping them set. Um, so anyway, uh, it's, a, it's an important thing, but th one of the shortages or the, the downfalls um, of the, the master leasing option um, is that it still depends on the private market's rent and the private market is still setting those rent prices. Um, so what we really need to start talking about is um, housing that is outside of that system, housing that is um, kept as a public good 
um, and not part of the uh, the market system that is raising rents. Um, that's what we had when we had uh, public housing, um, and that continues to be demolished. Um, and you know, when we look towards social housing models like that in Vienna, we see models that um, have income-based rents, um, uh, have you know housing at the scale of the need, um, and are doing it all through you know the government's responsibility. Cassandra, what about the unique challenges of the people that you serve? How do you feel they fit into this plan? And is it enough for, for who you're serving? Um, no, <laughs> it's not enough. Um, and I don't feel that most of them do fit into the plan. I think it is a great um, plan and I think that it is something that we do need. But again, like what Trace said, um, I do agree the city needs to kind of have the action behind that as well. Um, what the mayoral candidates are saying is not aligned with what my experience has been um, in the shelter world the past three years with the city. Um, so I'm not you know, sure if they're just not on the same page right now. Maybe they will be, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I think they're great ideas and they're great plans. But again, in our experience with our shelter, um, that has been very successful is a lot of our members need that middle ground, if you will, of sheltering um, just to create that stability. Um, definitely sheltering is not the answer, um, but I think that it could be a good stepping stone um, if it's ran properly um, and if it's ran in a trauma-informed way, a low barrier approach, um, which we don't see unfortunately in most shelters in Denver. Um, and again, like we're one of the few um, not faith-based organizations, um, so we are able to do um, more with the members that do feel like they're not um, cared about. You know, the transgender, non-binary individuals, which make up 39% of the homeless population, and also that number could be very um, under, because a lot of people we've seen, once they leave our shelter, um, whether they're exited or discharged for something that they've done, um, uh, they go back to resorting to what they identify um, at birth, because it is safe. It's safe for them to be on the streets, not identifying as transgender or non-binary. Um, so the numbers and the statistics are probably really um, out of line with that. But I do think, again, that those housing options are great, but I'm kind of just curious about how do we get people directly from the streets into housing successfully yeah. when they need so much more support um, for mental breath. health, yes, holding and substance misuse. Yeah. Um, some of them aren't able to hold a job, and I know that's a big part of um, the candidates spin right is like the subsidized income and having affordable housing but if they're not able to hold a job or be stable on their own like we have no options for them in denver yeah well cassandra torres with the gathering place therese howard with hand that's the house keys action network denver thank you both so much for being yeah. here with us today for this real talk thank you thank you micah yeah. thank you nathan you can find the full mayoral debate on denver7.com or on cpr's sister site denverite.com that's this week's episode of Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Every week, we'll be having a Real Talk on issues that impact Coloradans who are often overlooked. And you can also find all of our shows on denver7.com slash realtalk or at cpr.org slash realtalk. Have a great day.